0: There ain't no grave can hold my body down. Across the country this weekend, hundreds were arrested in ongoing protests over police shootings. Yeah, North Korea, you have nuclear weapons. A story just now that's breaking over in Britain where police are responding to what they call a serious incident at the Manchester Arena. What do you think I see? I see a band of angels and their coming after me ain't no grave can hold my body down there ain't no grave can hold my body down Let's get into it. If you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to get a Bible out, or there's one in front of your chair and grab a pen. And if you get, if you had some notes when you walked in, we'd love for you to get those out. I'm really excited to be in this uh, final, last, uh, fourth week of the series. We've been discussing uh, fear and discussing how it impacts our life and the fears that we all face. And reality is, we all face fear and it comes out. In different ways. Uh, For some of us, we we talked about how we see it in our faith and how fear and faith are opposite of each other. And we have to learn how to fight this fear in our life. We talked about how uh, we see fear in our desire to hide the sin in our lives but yet God would call us to bring it to the light and so we can get healing in the light. And then last week we talked finally about how uh, we see fear in our hesitance to love people because we're afraid that maybe, uh, maybe love won't turn out so well, right? And so we've talked about how fear influences our life. And reality has been a lot of us battle fear. And it's a daily fight that we have. Um, but scripture says, scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, But of power and of love and a sound mind. And I'll tell you this, um, not that you really care, but this is such a, a powerful marking. A topic and thing that God seems to deal a lot in my life with that we actually when, when my son was born He's uh, almost 11 months old now when Cade was born. We this was kind of his verse We said this we want this to be his life verse We want him to grow up knowing that God has not given him a spirit of fear But of power love and a sound mind that's kind of our verse we give him But this is something that we all face right fear is and fear is very um, fear is very normal in our lives Uh, It's very. It happens in all of us, and uh, I I want you to know that because God understands if you have fear, and I I want you to hear that God is not mad at you if you battle with fear. He understands that, but it's important for you to know that it's not from God, that fear is not from Him, and so when you face these uh, fearful things that tend to grip our lives, it's important for you to ask the question, God, how would you have me to respond to this circumstance or whatever it is that is causing me to be fearful because I know this fear is not from you. And I promise you, if you will think about how fear is not from God, I promise you that every day you will have something come up and you'll go, why am I being so fearful? Why is fear gripping my life? This is not from God. And I would challenge you to think that. But I, wanted to, uh, I want to talk tonight about a specific lesson uh, on this subject of fearless failure, fearless failure, and uh, we talked about fearless faith, fearless truth, fearless love, and I want to end with fearless failure tonight. How many, um, how many perfectionists do we have in the room? Anybody want to be bold and just say, I'm a perfectionist? I'll admit, I'm a perfectionist. It's, uh, it's fun. We love you. We love you, perfectionists. You annoy us to death, but um, we love you. I'm, I don't think I'm a perfectionist. I think we probably all have a little bit of perfection uh, tendencies, but you know a perfectionist when you get around one, right? You got to love them. I think on one side of the perfectionist, man, they are incredibly hardworking. They are committed to excellence. They, ne- they don't quit on a project or anything until it's done and it's done right. These are the kind of people you want to work with, right? These are the kind of people you want in your life are the perfectionists. However, on the other side of it, uh, perfectionists tend to, to get stressed a lot easier, right? Uh, perfectionists tend to almost carry the weight of the world on their shoulders or they, they, they have a hard time like enjoying the simple things in life. Like, all of a sudden, a simple activity becomes this thing that has to be perfectly done and in order, right? I, um, I, and I promise you, I'm not bashing you if you're a perfectionist. I live with a perfectionist. And, like, all of a sudden, it's okay. I've told her that. And, and all of a sudden, like, like simple activity, like, like loading the dishwasher should just be, you know, I'm just loading the dishwasher becomes, like, there is a perfect way to do this and you better do it right or else, right? And like the very simple things in life become huge ordeals, right? If you're a perfectionist, you're like, wow, so glad I came tonight, awesome, thanks, Austin. Really encouraging, right? No, but that, that's kind of, like perfectionists just tend to lean that way. But the truth is, the truth is, uh, failure is something that we all face, not just a perfectionist. We all have it in us a little bit, but what you need to know is that failure can prevent you from stepping into the destiny that God has for you and what God is leading you into because you're so afraid that you may fail. Failure can prevent you. The fear of failure can prevent you from stepping into the destiny that God is leading you to because you're so afraid that you may fail along the way. We all face this to some extent. And so tonight... I want to just spend the next few minutes giving you kind of a, a leadership lesson, a leadership lesson. I don't know if you guys are into leadership at all, um, but, but sometimes I get up here and I'm a little bit more like inspirational and hopefully motivating you to go live for Jesus. But tonight I want to give you uh, maybe just lean a little bit more toward a leadership lesson, because I think that's helpful for all of us when it comes to the subject of failure. And reality is uh, fighting failure And fighting the fear of failure is a very uh, leadership thing for us to talk through. So check this out. No one wants to fail. Think about it. None of us want to fail, yet all of us will. You may not fail in a huge way, but all of us are going to experience failure from time to time. In fact, uh, it seems that all great achievers, anybody that's ever achieved anything great in life... Have made failures along the way. They've messed up along the way. In fact, we could go through scripture and look at these great characters in the Bible that God has raised up to do massive things for His glory and look at their story, and along the way, they experience moments of failure. So many people are eager to study lessons about how to succeed, but isn't it interesting that nobody really wants to talk about how to fail? Yet all of us are going to fail. And so maybe, maybe the lesson isn't necessarily how to succeed, or maybe that's a good thing. We should talk about that too. But maybe a good thing to talk about is how to fail. Because some people seem to fail forward and some people fail backwards. And so maybe there's power in us actually having a conversation and learning about how to fail. Rather than just how to succeed. So, I want to um, read to you a couple verses out of Hebrews tonight. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12, is where we'll be, or just write that down and you can study it later. There's a lot packed into it, it'll kind of set us up for tonight. And we'll look at uh, 7 through 13. 7 through 13, that's page uh, 1,214 toward the back of the Bible. Anybody hungry in here tonight? My stomach is growling while I'm up here. So let's go eat. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 13. And um, if you're there, somebody say amen. amen. Come on. It says this. It says, endure hardship as discipline. Great start. <laughs> endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have... Verse 12, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Let me just read verse 11 one more time. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained. I want to propose to you tonight that... Much of the discipline that God will allow you to walk through in your life is the result of failure. And much of the discipline that he wants to train you in is because you will step out in faith to do something and you will experience failure. And it's during those seasons that God would have you not to waste it, but to make the most out of it. Much of the discipline you're going to walk through will be you responding to the different failures in your life. And so perhaps failure is something we'll all experience, and the most important thing is your perspective on it. And perhaps we should all rethink failure. Let me give you a new definition for failure and encourage you to rethink it a little bit. The experience of failure is the price that you will pay for progress. The experience of failure is the price that you will pay for progress. You must go through some of it. I wrote it this way. You will likely have jobs that don't work out because you are not competent. You will likely have grades that disappoint you because you are not smart enough. You will have issues in relationships because you are selfish. You will have days that don't go as planned because you are not disciplined. You will have leadership opportunities slip out of your hands because of your poor decisions. But a person, you, can consistently succeed in life only when he or she learns how to confidently look failure and adversity in the eye and keep moving forward anyway. Only if you can look it in the eye and keep moving forward anyway. You are going to face failure. It's how you respond to it that matters. I want to give you three things tonight, just short, and then we'll close this out. Three things that you must do if you're going to rethink failure. You still tracking with me? Write this down. Number one, learn to fail forward. Learn to fail forward. Here's what I mean. I think, generally speaking, most of us, Uh, going through life, we're just kind of heading straight on into whatever it is that we're chasing after or whatever opportunity it is in front of us, whatever dream that God has put in our mind, we're going for it. And then we hit some sort of roadblock, you may call it a failure, and most of us think that it pushes us backwards a few steps and now we have to regain those steps back to continue going forward, right? This is the uh, kind of the general concept of failure, that we hit it and we go backwards. What I want to propose to you tonight is that it's possible that you hit failure and you allow it to push you forward, not backwards. That you allow adversity to be your advantage. But it all comes through your perspective and how you view it. You have to learn to fail forward. Let me give you a few things that people do when they fail, and it pushes them backwards instead of forward. The first thing they do is they blame others for it. Anybody know just as a perpetual blamer, just cannot take responsibility for anything in their own life, right? It's embarrassing to admit sometimes, but but listen to me. If you consistently blame others, you will never grow. You will never grow. We like to blame others. It's in our our nature. Listen, I haven't been married very long, only uh, coming up on three years now. But I'll tell you, one lesson I've learned is I've learned the power of the words, I'm sorry. And uh, if you haven't learned these yet, just wait till that day when you unite yourself with someone, and uh, these words hopefully will become very familiar to you. But the power of the words, I'm sorry. And what generally happens when one, when one person steps out and says, I'm sorry, what you're doing is you're saying, I take some ownership in this. This is partly my fault. I acknowledge I had a part to play in this. Or maybe it was all my fault. I got plenty of those. Uh, this was all of my fault. I am sorry. And generally speaking, when the first person will step out and say it, the conflict starts to get resolved a little bit. And whatever it, the argument diffuses, generally speaking, when one person will just step out and say it, your marriage, your relationships cannot win and cannot thrive if people are always blaming the other person. I um this I, you think about it, this comes from the very beginning. We're, we're inherent blamers. You think about the story of Adam and Eve in the very beginning, right? They they sinned, they ate of the fruit. And uh, God comes to Adam, and he says, what happened here? And, and what did Adam do? Uh, uh, it, was, it was her. She made me do it. Right? Immediate blame. But then what did Eve do? Uh, it was him, the snake. He made me do it. We all just blame other people for our failure, for our mistake. But it's important. Listen, maturity maturity is learning how to take responsibility for your own mistakes, Failures, but this is a huge struggle for most of us, and many people make mistakes but refuse to admit them. They tend to see every obstacle or error as somebody else's fault, and this is what usually happens. I want to give you just a result because this may connect with some of you. When, when we blame others, this is what usually happens. You can put it on the screen. The first thing is is they tend to overreact with a display of anger. I'll just read it to you. They tend to overreact with a display of anger. You know what that is? They blow up. They blow up. They tend to overreact with a display of anger. They blow up. This is what most of us guys do, right? Most of us guys tend to overreact with anger because out of our aggression, we can dominate the conversation and perhaps hide our failure in it. So even though I know I'm at fault in this, If I can get really angry and really emotional, usually I can dominate the conversation by my anger. right? Some of you girls are like, no, that's me. I got that down. I can do that. (laughs) This is how most, most men respond. They usually blow up. Or they try to hide their failure. They cover up. Or they try and work harder and faster but without making changes. They speed up. Or they try to excuse their mistake. They back up. See, we blow up, we cover up, we speed up, or we back up. But very few of us actually own our failure and take responsibility. To fail forward, a person must utter three of the most difficult words to say. I was wrong. I was wrong. Three of the most difficult words to say. But if you're going to fail forward and not backwards, you must learn to say it. Listen, don't, don't waste energy trying to cover up failure. Learn from your failures and go on to the next challenge. If you're not failing, you're not growing. Learn from them and move on. Listen, one day you will likely have a position of leadership and you will be tempted to blame others if you are leading anybody. I'll give you, can I just be vulnerable with you? Is that cool? Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you kind of a glimpse into my world as a pastor uh, most of you think that I just could probably just pray all day long. That's like all I do. Uh, but I'll give you kind of a glimpse into my world, into the leadership realm that I, that I walk in. Uh, I had a conversation recently with a, a fellow pastor of a, of a church in another state. And he was telling me about all the people and all the challenges he was facing in his church. And he was like, you know, if my people don't tithe, they don't give. Uh, my people aren't holy. They don't, un- they don't get the holiness thing. My people, they don't follow vision very well. All these things are going on. And I sat there and listened to them. And I just I sat and, and this is how I responded. I said, hey, uh, if everyone and everything were perfect, there would be no need for you. If everyone and, every, and everything was perfect, there would be no need for leadership. This is the entire point of leadership is to take people somewhere that they're not already going on their own. This is the point of leadership, guys, and I'm telling you that God's gonna raise some of you up into positions of leadership in the work hemisphere wherever you're at or maybe in school or maybe even at your church where you're leading something and you're gonna get frustrated by the people on your team or you're gonna, you're gonna tend to blame others for mistakes that are happening. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't for everyone, people, there would be no need for you. That's the point of leadership because you are taking people to something that they are not going to by themselves. So here's what I said. I said, perhaps, perhaps uh, it's on you, not them. Perhaps it's not saying my people aren't holy. Maybe it's, I haven't led my people to a place where they value what it means to be holy. Or it's not my people don't tithe. It's I haven't taught my people the importance of tithing. A good leadership perspective, everything is your fault. <laughs> Welcome to the world. But if you embrace that, I promise you, it will take you places and you will learn how to fail forward if you'll take responsibility instead of putting blame on others. Another thing that people do, that not only blame others, but they keep repeating the same mistakes. Over and over and over again, never evaluating what should I do differently. They accept traditional thinking blindly. They allow past mistakes to hinder future vision. Listen, the reality of your failure uh, has a way of clouding what God could do in your future. Right? Right? And now all of a sudden, instead of, instead of believing God to do a miracle in your life, you would rather just sit back and be comfortable back here. Because if I get out on a limb and I ask God for a miracle that I'm living by faith and doing this, well, then there's the chance that I'm going to fail and fall backwards. If I get out on the limb and I go do something that I think that God's asking me to do or I take a, a new job that I think God's asking me to do and I don't really know, but I'm just trusting by faith this is what He wants me to do, if I get out there and live that kind of way, There's a chance of failure. So instead of that, let me just hide in my cocoon of comfort. I'd rather live here. Listen, failure will corrode your spiritual life more than you think it will because it will keep you from getting in out of your comfort zone. But God tends to do his greatest work outside of your comfort. So don't let the fear of failure keep you from that. You with me still? Okay, let's move on. My prayer is that you would respond differently, that you would take responsibility, that you would learn from each mistake, that you would know that failure is a part of progress, that you would challenge outdated traditions and ideas, that you would take new risk, that you would never quit. Number two thing you need to know, take the you out of failure. There's not like a cool way to write that where you actually take the you out of it. I worked on it for a little bit and it didn't really work, so... I just went with that. Take the you out of failure. Here's what I mean. You have to learn the difference between whatever I did failed and I am a failure. There is a giant difference with giant effects. Each one will lead you to a different place. And you have to learn the difference and you have to learn the ability to say, just because I failed at something doesn't make me a failure. Just because I, failed, I stepped out into this, whatever it was, and it didn't go like I planned, or I failed. It could be, according to Hebrews, it could be what God is doing in me to discipline me and to grow me up in something, to mature me in my faith or leadership, whatever it is. That could be what God wants me to what God's trying to take me through. That failure could be that. And how do you rob God of that opportunity to do that? If you now take it as your identity. I wrote it this way. It made sense to me. He wanted you to come through it having learned a lesson. And you came through it having a new identity. Two opposite things. Two completely different things. And you have to fight against the identity. Number three. Understand that failure is an inside job. And band, you guys can go ahead and come back up. We're almost done. That means like 45 more minutes. I'm just kidding. Understand that failure is an inside job. I heard uh, one philosopher said this. He said, a man is not defeated by his opponents, but by himself. That failure mostly takes place in your mind and how you, uh, what perspective you have of things, not by your circumstances around you. So, let me give you this. How you can... Fight against the inside job stuff. Fight to become an optimist. Now, I tell you straightforward. Uh, writing those words was difficult for me because the idea of optimism and why can't we all just be happy and have happy thoughts and get along? Uh, to me, that never like even makes sense. It's 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 theologically it's funny and I don't really get it. Uh, and and I just understand. I'm not naive. I understand that the world we're living in is tough. And it's rough, and there are hardships, and it's not easy. And so the idea of, hey, let's all just be optimists and believe the best, uh, it, it's more complicated than that. Amen? Someone s- disagree with me? It's more complicated than that. But here's what I started thinking. How many of you enjoy being around just negative Nancy all the time? Do yeah. You guys know that term, negative Nancy? I think I got that from my mom, honestly. Negative Nancy. Like the, the, the person that's just constantly a pessimist, constantly can't look at anything good, constantly has no hope for what might happen, never picks out the good in anything, just constantly looking toward the worst, right? I'll be honest, I don't want to be around that person. Do you? No one does. So here's the question. If that's you, why would people want to be around you? So while I think there's more underneath it than just thinking happy thoughts and being an, an optimist, I think there's, there's some wisdom, like you can train yourself to be an optimist. You can train yourself. Let me give you a few thoughts that you may want to write down, a few things that you can do. Expect the best in everything, not the worst. If you will do this, I promise you, it will help you fail forward, not backwards. It will help you learn from failure and even influence the people around you. Expect the best in everything, not the worst. Remain upbeat even when you get beat up. (laughs) Remain upbeat even when you get beat up. See solutions in every problem, not problems in every solution. I'm telling you, when you get in the work world and you start working with people, you will be around people that see problems in every solution. And if you want to stand out and if you want to have impact and you want to have leadership... And you want to learn from your failures if you will see solutions in every problem. I promise you, you'll go a long way. Next, believe in yourself even when others believe that you are a failure. Believe in yourself even when others believe you're a failure. Lastly, hold on to hope even when others say the situation is hopeless. Hold on to hope even when others say it's hopeless. I know those sound just easy to do. I understand they're not easy. But if we could get in our minds some of those things and then say, God, whatever failure you have me walking through, if I can practice some of this and believe that there's hope coming out of it and learn to use my adversity for my advantage and fail forward, I believe God will do something great. You're going to face failure. Listen to me. You are going to fail at something. It will happen. But how you respond to it will determine the next for you. So I wanted to close this out, but I want to encourage you. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I close out the sermon and we have a challenge. We have a let's go get them. We have something like that. But tonight I want to encourage you with something. And that's this failure is never final with Jesus. Failure is never final with Jesus. And because of the cross and the resurrection, whatever failure you're facing, it does not have to be your story. It doesn't have to be the end of you. It doesn't have to be what the rest of your story looks like. It's never final with Jesus. You can walk through any failure you face and believe that the best is yet to come. Have you ever heard this statement, the best is yet to come? It sounds kind of hard because I'm like, well, I don't, how do you actually know that? How do I know the best is yet to come? Well, you don't, but here's what I would ask. What's your other option? What's your other option? To believe the worst is yet to come? Come on, who wants to be around that person? And with Jesus, you have every right to believe that he is still working for my good, and he's the one who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than anything that I could ever ask or imagine according to his purpose at work in me. Whoo, the best is yet to come. I can believe that, right? You can get on board with that. You have every right to believe the best is yet to come, that failure is not final in your story. So I don't know if for you, if that's, you know, I'm walking through a situation or I'm walking through maybe sin that you've been battling in and you feel like a failure, like spiritually because of that. Or maybe maybe you've messed up, like radically, maybe you failed a class, maybe you got fired from a job. I don't know what it is kind of failure you're facing, But I wanted to encourage you tonight that it doesn't have to be final. It's not final. Can I pray for you tonight? Will you do this? Will you stand to your feet? And let's just pray together. And as we close out this kind of series on fear, I want to pray over you that you would fight the battle within. And that you would continue to fight fear in your life. So, Father, we recognize that fear is um, rampant, that it is a part of each of us, that it has a nasty way of creeping up in all of us. It has a very violent way of taking over our lives. But yet, Father, we know that you did not give us a spirit of fear, but you gave us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so, God, I pray over each person in this room that's facing different fears in their life, God, I pray that you would arrest them with your power, with your love, and God, would you give them a sound mind so that they can see clearly. God, if they're fighting failure, I pray that you would give them a vision of what's on the other side. God, I pray that you would give them the clarity to see that it's not final with you and that they can learn from it. And so, Lord, we love you tonight. God, if you never did another good thing for us in our life, you're worthy of our worship because of what you did on the cross for us. And so, Lord, tonight we sing, great is your name, and we love you, Jesus. We're grateful for you. And you're the reason we're gathered here tonight. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.